and chapter 4. It's page number 1181 of the Pew Bibles. Page number 1181. And we're almost at the end of our series in Philippians. Before we come to God's Word, would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have so much to thank you for. We thank you that you are not some remote and distant deity. You have given us the written word, the Bible, the inspired word of God. We ask, Lord, that as we come to your word this morning, that you would speak to us through it. And may the Holy Spirit help us to apply your word to our hearts in obedience and faith. And Lord, we thank you that you have given to us the incarnate word, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we have just sung, Father, our desire this morning is that the glory of Jesus would fill his church, his bride. For we ask this in the exalted name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know if you're an ABBA fan. Well, ABBA was a popular music group many, many years ago, as I'm sure you can tell. And they had a hit record. Now, it was a song about an issue that is very close to many people's hearts. And here's how it went. Money, money, money. Must be funny in the rich man's world. Money, money, money. Always sunny in the rich man's world. Aha! <laughs> it's what it says. Aha! All the things I could do if I had a little money. It's a rich man's world. Money. And even in this past week, money has been headline news. I'm sure you've heard about Dolores McNamara. Dolores McNamara from Limerick has just won £77 million on the Irish National Lottery. And last week, homeowners heard some very welcome news. Mortgages were coming down. The Bank of England had cut interest rates to 4.5%. Hooray for a second time. And if you're like me, every single week, you can guarantee that you will get some junk mail. And what's it usually about? Money. Apply for our new credit card, and you can claim your free pen. So the question we're going to think about this morning is this. How should a Christian view their money? Before we do that, Let me ask you this. What do you think of when you hear the words Christian and money in the same sentence? Well, there are two pictures that also come to our minds. One is of a televangelist. And I'm sure you've seen it. Gold chains everywhere. And he promises to pray for you if you will just send him your credit card details. Or maybe it's a different picture. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's been in a church, looking around, 
as people try to find loose change for the offering basket. But let me quickly say, in case I get in big trouble, it's obviously not this church. Amen. Well, 2,000 years ago, a letter was written to a church in Philippi, which gives us the answer to the question, how should a Christian view their money? The person who wrote the letter was a man called Paul. And Paul shows us here that a healthy Christian life and a healthy church life is characterized by joyful giving. Dr. Graham Scroggy, a former pastor of Charlotte Chapel, put it very well. He said this. There are two ways in which a Christian may view his money. How much of my money shall I use for God? Or, how much of God's money shall I use for myself? Now, there are four marks of someone who is a joyful giver. First, being a joyful giver means belonging to God's people. Last week, I was in Birmingham at the Baptist World Congress. And it's held every five years in a different country. Well, the next time, in 2010, guess where it will be held? Hawaii. (laughs) And I really do think I should be there. (laughs) And everyone said, Amen. (laughs) Now at this Congress, what a chance, now at this Congress, there were 12,000 people from 114 different countries, including India. Incredible. There were Bible studies in Russian, German, Korean, Spanish, and thankfully also in English. And that reminded me of this. That if you're a Christian, then you belong to God's people. You belong to a family. A global family. A family that cares for each other. In other words, you belong to a genuine community. And that's what Paul is writing about here. If you look at verse 14, the Christians in Philippi were joyful givers. Why? It was a genuine community. And so Paul writes, verse 14, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Now, if you recall from chapter 3, the previous chapter, Paul was a Jew. Remember, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And these Christians were Gentiles from the city of Philippi in Macedonia. But notice, they belong to the same family. And here's what is so obvious. They cared for each other. And you know what it's like. Whenever you go on a holiday somewhere, maybe the Bahamas, or Bulgaria, or even Birmingham, and you meet another Christian who you may have never met before in your life, there is that instant bond, that instant connection. Is that not true? And why? It's because of our relationship together in Christ. We are one in Christ. Now I want you to imagine this scene. Imagine that four pastors from India, as you know, have come to the church one day, okay? They have just been at a Christian conference and they have nowhere to stay and they are short of money. So here's the question. What would you do 
Well, that's what happened on Tuesday morning. I arrived at work as normal. I checked my emails as normal. And then I went into the church lounge. And there were four pastors from India having breakfast. And it looked like a very nice breakfast. And some people in this church very kindly put them up in their homes. And why? Because we belong to the same family. And we have seven more guests this morning. Please bear it in mind. Now here's a thought. If you were to look around here this morning in Charlotte Chapel, and you asked everyone here, where do you come from? And what do you do? But you'd say it more nicely. You would find people from many different countries of the world. And you would find people from all different walks of life. Maybe you're a school teacher, or a nurse, or a doctor, a real doctor, or, or an accountant, or a lawyer, or you may look after the kids, or you may be retired. Now consider this. Can you think of any group so diverse meeting this morning? Any group as diverse as the church. Does that not say something very important about Jesus Christ? The church. It's an embodied question mark. Why? Because it's a genuine community. Remember what Galatians chapter 3 and 28 says. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, Male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 2,000 years ago in Philippi, the Christians there knew that. Alec Motier writes in his commentary, As Paul saw it, such a generous sentiment was inseparable from Christian relationships. It was in fact a means of Christian fellowship. And he commends and approves of it as such. And so if you're a Christian, you belong not only to a genuine community, but you belong to a generous community. If you, ca- if you cast your eye again at verse 14, the Philippians shared in Paul's troubles. Now we've been thinking about the crisis in Niger. Two million people are facing starvation in Niger because of drought. And this morning, we want to help them in some way. And that's why there's a special offering after the service. And that same spirit we find among the Christians at Philippi. Sinclair Ferguson writes helpfully. It is an ideal description of the relationships we ought to foster among ourselves. Ministers and people, missionaries and their supporting congregations alike, should learn from Paul's example that there is no such thing as a one-man ministry or missionary. And now we're going to see how this works out in practice, okay? So here we come to our second point. Being a joyful giver means investing in God's purposes. Last week, you probably saw on television those incredible pictures of the space shuttle Discovery And you probably saw a very, very brave man called Stephen Robertson 
doing a spot of DIY. 350 kilometers above Earth. Now that mission they are on is very much a partnership. Stephen and his colleagues are not out there alone. You see there is a whole team back at Kennedy Space Center in Florida. A team with the same passion and with the same vision and working together in achieving that vision. And here's the point. If you're a Christian, then you're a vital partner in a mission. The greatest mission on earth. And if you look at verse 15, you'll notice the Philippians were partners together in this awesome mission. And what was that mission? To get the gospel out. And there are three words we're going to think about here. First is the word inspiration. Verse 15, if you look down. Moreover, as you Philippines know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. And now if we look on a map, we can follow the journey that Paul actually took almost 2,000 years ago. It was his second missionary journey. A journey without airplanes, youth hostels, and lonely planet travel guides. Now, fasten your seatbelts and listen to this itinerary. Paul left Troas in Asia Minor and crossed over to Europe, landing at the port city of Neapolis and proceeding immediately to Philippi. There, he and Silas were beaten up, arrested, and thrown out of town. However, not before they planted a church there. And then, leaving Philippi, are you following okay? Good. Paul quickly passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia and arrived at Thessalonica, where he started yet another church. Doesn't it sound exhausting? Paul was an activist. So what Paul was saying is this. Even by the time he got to Thessalonica, and even before he left there to evangelize Athens and Corinth, the Philippians were already finding out how they could play a part in this great mission. And I'm sure if they were here in Charlotte Chapel, they would sing that hymn with great gusto. We have a gospel to proclaim. Good news for men in all the earth. The gospel of a Saviour's name. We sing his glory. Tell his worth. So the first word is inspiration. The second word is integrity. In verse 17, if you look down, Paul continues, Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. 
And you'll see the phrase, received full payment. It's like when you book a holiday, as I will do when I hopefully go to Hawaii. It's called positive thinking. And they give you the invoice, paid in full. And then you keep that invoice in a very safe place, don't you? Well, received full payment meant the same thing. The Greek word used here was found on ancient receipts. And there is something to learn here from Paul. It's this. He was always circumspect about money. Always. And he explains why in 2 Corinthians 8 and 21. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. He wasn't like one of those slick-looking televangelists. Send me your money, and then I'll pray for you. No, Paul would have none of that. He led with integrity. And now the third word is investment. And in verse 17, if you look down, we find this phrase from the world of commerce. What may be credited? Now this comes from the same Greek word used in chapter 1, verse 11. If you remember, where Paul writes of the Philippians, fruits of righteousness on the final day. And here's what it means. They were investing what they had in something that would last forever. And because of that, Paul was overjoyed. Okay. Now let's try and make this practical. Charlotte Chapel has had a long history of sending out missionaries to many different countries of the world. And I think I'm right in that as a church, we currently help support around 40 missionaries working in 10 different nations all over the world. From Cairo to Colorado, from England to Ecuador, and from the Philippines to Papua New Guinea, and we could go on and on. And on Tuesday, we heard two brilliant reports about what God is doing in Papua New Guinea and also in Newcastle. And we were reminded that God is not British. He's the God of the universe. And I thought that was great. And we thank God for our missionary family, don't we? And we can support them not only by giving financially, but also by giving of our time, by praying for them. And I know they greatly appreciate your prayers. And here's how you can do that. Every two months, CBC Online comes out. And each day, every month, you can pray for one of our chapel missionaries. We are partners together in the greatest mission on this earth. And listen... There's an even closer mission field right here in this city. And that's why we're involved again this year in the festival. And as you've heard this morning, we have had a fantastic response so far. And a big thank you for that. But we're still looking for more volunteers. We need you to give some of your time for stewarding. And you don't have to be built like Arnold Schwarzenegger for refreshments. You don't have to be a Delia Smith 
or a Jimmy Oliver, for praying, you don't have to be a Billy Graham, for ticket sales, and for handing out flyers. And if you want to make us really happy, please come and see us in the lounge after the service. So being a joyful giver, it means belonging to God's people, and it means investing in God's purposes. And third, it means living for God's pleasure. One of the best-selling books ever written is a book written by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. And The Purpose Driven Life looks at the big questions of life, such as, what on earth am I here for? And maybe you've asked that yourself. Why am I here? What is life all about? Is there any meaning to life? Well, let me read you the first sentence from that book. Are you ready? Okay. Now, here's the answer. It's not about you. And that's what Paul realised. It's not about him. The reason why you're putting this earth is far greater than your own ambitions, your peace of mind, your family, your career, or even your happiness. You see, if you really want to know why you are placed on this planet, you must begin with God. And we see that in verse 18, if you look down. It's our supreme motivation in giving, whether it's your time, or your skills, or your finances. It's all about God. Here's what Paul writes in verse 18. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And so from images of commerce, here we come to images of the temple. Now if you recall, we first hear about a fragrant offering in Genesis 8 and 21. After the flood, Noah offered a burnt offering to God. Listen, and the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Question. What was Noah doing here? Answer. He was offering a sacrifice of praise to God. You see, if you think about it, all that you are and all that you have has been given to you by God. And Noah saw that. And as King David prayed in 1 Chronicles 29, everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. And listen, that is what Paul is teaching us here. He's saying that when you give sacrificially to meet Christian needs, it is for God the burnt offering all over again. And he delights to accept it. And I thought about that. And I had to ask myself, am I living for God's pleasure? Is my life God-centered? Romans 12 and 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act 
of worship. Now, when I was younger, I went to Sunday school. I would sometimes go to Blantyre for our Sunday school outing. And there was a famous individual born in Blantyre in 1813. Do you know who it was? It was David Livingston, correct. He went to Africa as a missionary. And how about this for a God-centered life? Here's what he said. I place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept, only as by giving or keeping it. Listen, I shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time or eternity. But let's stop there. Life is full of distractions. Isn't it? There are children that need fed. Clothes that need washed. Washing that needs ironed. Shopping that needs bought. And housework that needs done. And that is just the men. (laughs) I don't know why you're laughing. So the question is, (laughs) how do you stay focused? By spending time daily alone with God. And here's how you can do that. Set aside a time each day in the morning. Find a place where you will not be distracted. I go into the vestry and I lock the doors so no one can get in. I just hide away. Go through a study guide and read the Bible and pray that you'll live for God's pleasure that day. So being a joyful giver, it means belonging to God's people. It means investing in God's purposes. And it means living for God's pleasure, a God-centered life. And now finally, it means trusting on God's provision. Verse 19. And here we come to one of the most wonderful verses in the entire Bible. This is what we find. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now there are three things to observe here about God. Our provider. And each one gives us tremendous assurance. First, He is a God of faithfulness. Notice, Paul can call his creator, my God. Brilliant. The one who flung the stars into space. And get this. God is always faithful. On our wedding day, almost six years ago, and it seems like just six days. Guys, you can learn from me. We sang that famous hymn, Written by Thomas Chisholm. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. And I know that every Christian here will be able to sing that song from the very depths of their soul. You know, I wonder if there is someone here who cannot yet call the Creator God my God. 
in that personal way. Well, the most amazing news in the world is you can. If you will come to him, repent of your sin, receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, and come under his new management, you'll become what the Bible calls a child of God. Yet to all who received him, that is Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What a privilege. And there is nothing in this world more important. A God of faithfulness. And secondly, he is a God of abundance. If you look down again at verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And you'll notice, God has not promised to supply all our griefs. You know, I would quite like a very expensive car. Maybe a Porsche. And I would quite like a very expensive house. Wouldn't you? Yes. Well, God has promised not to supply all our griefs. He has promised to supply all our needs. As Hudson Taylor wisely wrote, when God's work is done in God's way, for God's glory, it will never, never lack God's supply. In Ephesians 3 and 20, Paul spells it out. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? What a privilege to serve a God like that. So he's a God of faithfulness, and he's a God of abundance. And finally, he is a God of grace. As John Newton could pen those words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. How did God show his amazing grace to us? In his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Gordon Fee comments, The Philippians' generosity toward Paul is exceeded beyond all imagination by the lavish wealth, great phrase, of the eternal God who dwells in glory, full of riches made available to his own in Christ Jesus. The greatest gift that has ever been given is the gift of Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins. And in verse 19, you'll notice, it's not as though these blessings simply flow through Christ. They are found in Christ. And here's the point. The person, the person who possesses Christ possesses everything. What can compare with that? And you and I simply live in response to that amazing grace. After the service, if you go into the lounge to sign up to be a volunteer, you'll find a table. Now we'll have some booklets on it called The Grace of Giving, written by John Stott. That tells you more about this, and it's free. If you'd like a copy, please just take one.
And so in conclusion, this morning we've looked at what it means to be a joyful giver. Number one, it means belonging to God's people. Number two, it means investing in God's purposes. Number three, it means living for God's pleasure. Number four, it means trusting in God's provision. And the key to it all is found in Christ. Let me close with a verse from 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We give to him because he gave his all for us. Let's pray.